Uh, let's get started. Um, uh, welcome to School of Box, session two for Saturday. Thanks for braving the rain. Uh, yeah? Right. My name's Jeff Rambos, and we're really looking forward to this session. Uh, it's been eight years uh, and counting now since uh, Bose got going, and we're going to talk to uh, the folks that uh, have helped make it happen, and I've uh, been there uh, uh, every step of the way. So um, I'll do a couple introductions. Um, immediately to my left here is Tim Beauchene, one of our co-founders. Yes! We can vote on your favorite Bose person up here, maybe at the end or something, so. Oh, uh, are they going to vote? Sure, we can. We, we can roll with it, so. Next to him, maybe if he wants to play up the crowd a bit, is Matt O'Hare, our brewmaster, making all that delicious beer in front of you. And to his left is our creative director, Jordan Bamforth, who's responsible for some of the amazing artwork uh, you see around the grounds and on the labels. So Jordan. And there's you're Steve Bouchain, who just walked in the door. That is perfect. Well, please welcome Steve Bouchain, our other co-owner. This is total Price is Right moment. That's great. <laughs> well, it was, it was a real pleasure doing this uh, with you, and uh, hope yeah. to see Thank you again. Thank you. Good night. Uh, hosting this madness and uh, of uh, war stories and uh, stories they don't know and questions they don't know they're going to get asked. Uh, an amazing beer that we're going to break out from the cellar for this. Uh, you're going to have some pretty special beer here that's not available at the fest. Uh, it's our good friend Cass Enright. Cass is a... Let's give a hand for Cass and I'll talk about it. <laughs> Cass is a passionate craft beer advocate and drinker, founding one of the first and most popular websites about Ontario beer, The Bar Towel. Uh, one I was on a long time ago, it seems now. Uh, he's the founder of the Golden Tap Awards, Ontario's most democratic beer awards event, where Bose does very well, thanks to all of you. So, cheers to that. Uh, we're now in its 12th year, really? Yep. Wow. wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm old. Uh, he, is, he is also the creator of the Brewery Market, a craft beer and food series in Ottawa and the Brewer's Backyard in Toronto. Take it away, guys. It's going to be a good one. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, guys. Steve, Hi. how are you? Good. How's everybody? Good. How's everybody out there? Okay, good. Uh, don't when the beers come around, don't forget to drop one off for the, the moderator too. Uh, and the guests. <laughs> okay, so we're balance. here to talk. Balance. We're here to talk about Bose. It's Doctor Beer Love. Uh, I think, or how I stopped worrying to work and started drinking, or something like that. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> so we're gonna talk about the history of Bose, um, and. Uh, so most of you guys probably know about Bose. I'm sure you do. Um, Bose uh, started in 2006. Um, as they said, uh, initially serving up distinctive locally made premium beer from the heart of Eastern Ontario. Uh, oh, great. Bose distinctive premium beer stands out in the market because of its all natural, uh, because it's all natural first original suds. It's quite simple, all natural tastes better. Um, brewing company brainchild Steve Bo uh, Tim Beauchene, lifelong entrepreneur based in Van Cleek Hill and Hawkesbury, and his son Steve. Um, flagship offering. I'm the father, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you don't get confused. The, no one's confused. Uh, Bo's launched as a way for, uh, as they said, Eastern Ontarians are about to come into their own, in their own beer, that is. And those are words from Bo's first <laughs> press release back on. June 16th, oh, 2006, wow. Wow. which I dug up. 
And uh, you know, the words on that ring true still, still today. What was that again? The, uh, the, the, the what, words. The words. Well, it was. Um, he, he's not going to read okay, it again. Come on. <laughs> it, it was hard enough for him to read it the first yeah. time. Bo's, <laughs> Bo's All Natural Brewing Co. brings fresh local beer with an all natural appeal to Ottawa and the area starting July 1st. Finally, Eastern Ontarians are about to come into their own. From the Opiongo line to the Catacui Bay, Bose is truly Eastern Ontario's own. And those are the origins of Bose, and that's what we want to talk about today. Um, I don't want to spend too much time talking. I'll ask some questions as we go. But I thought we'd start just by thinking about, you know, going back to those first days, which is now eight years ago. Um, Tim, Steve, uh, how, did, uh, how did Bose get going? How did, you, how did you first come up with the idea and, uh, and get off the ground? I want to know where Opiongo is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that way. Oh, okay. It's in Eastern Ontario. <laughs> exactly. Well, it started back in uh, 2000, early 2005. Um, when I decided to close down the company I was in, which was the leather finishing company, it was a textile industry, and it was going south because of the, uh, it was all going offshore, manufacturing was dying in North America. So I was looking for a growth industry and a fun industry, and I kept hearing about this craft, craft beer scene, and um, serendipitously, I think, I was talking to my daughter, who was a book editor at the time in Calgary, and she was editing a book on how to start a microbrewery by this gentleman in Colorado, Tom Hennessy. So I gave him a call and he got me so excited about it. Um, and he said, you, you've got a 30,000 square foot facility there. You, you've got everything you need, natural gas, you've got electricity, go for it. So I went down to visit Steve in Toronto and took him out for a beer. And I told him about this idea about starting a craft, uh, craft beer at a microbrewery. And he got just so as, as excited as I was about it. And that afternoon, that's all we talked about. We drank a little bit. And as Steve always likes to say, the next morning when we woke up and we were you know, sobered up a little bit, it was still a good idea, so we went ahead with it. It's funnier when I say it. <laughs> he exaggerates all the time. Yeah, but uh, that, that first day uh, is, is one of those things, uh, it really sticks in my mind because... We were having that conversation when you know dad didn't want to move offshore to, to go with with the industry so it was one of those things where he really had to make a, a very difficult decision and uh and number one i'm still blown away at the fact that he was willing to roll the dice on on, on this crazy idea uh and and even even more blown away that he like let me <laughs> be part of it uh but uh that first day uh there was never any looking back after that. When we woke up the second day, we're like, we're still, we're doing this, right? And that was it. There was never one of those things where it was like, well, let's do a feasibility study, and if that says blah, 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 or if we, you know, the consultants say this, it was just, we're opening a brewery. It was total commitment from day one. The funny part is the banks made us do the feasibility study. Yeah. <laughs> so we still had to do it. But it didn't matter what that thing said, we were opening a brewery one way or another. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just one of those really cool things where we can point back to a specific point in time where we said, hey, let's do this. And my, my reaction was instant. It was, if you're serious, I will quit my job, I will sell my house, I will move back home with you. Which is that was the bad commitment. part, moving back into my house. But, uh, but uh, you know, it, it was just, that was it. That was really it. Awesome. Uh, also in that first press release, talks about um, Matt, who's sitting at the table as well. Uh, Brewmaster Matt O'Hara worked at such beer makers as Montreal's McCausland Brewing, Upper Canada Brewing Company, and Denison's Brew Pub in Toronto, 
for signing on with Bose to develop her signature beer. So Matt and then Jordan, how did you guys get involved in this, uh, this venture? Well, for me, it was, uh, it was a bit of serendipity. Um, I moved into uh, this region without any expectation to find uh, continued work in uh, the brewing industry because there wasn't a lot going on yeah. in the area at the time. And uh, as it so happened, uh, a mutual friend of, of ours uh, made the introduction. He knew about my brewing background and knew about uh, Tim and Steve's aspirations in terms of opening up a uh, craft brewery. And that's how we met. And uh, I was hired initially to do consulting work because well, of no, my- Well, no, you were hired initially to cut down a tree for me. Oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't forget. Yeah, I was actually doing uh, forestry jobs at the time. So they thought that was kind of handy, so I brought over my chainsaw. This is for the job interview, by <laughs> the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's on our back porch. Oh, with a, uh, uh, Matt brought a case of uh, Durham Signature Ale. Yeah. We and drank. We, we drank the beer and then he chopped down a tree. <laughs> and it was hired. <laughs> it's just that easy. <laughs> and Jordan. Jordan, how about you? Uh, so uh, me and Steve. Uh, me and Steve kind of go back more to Steve's. Uh, I guess. Rock and roll career days. in the music industry. Um, so that's where I met Steve was uh, basically drinking in dingy uh, punk bars in Toronto uh, and going to, going to loud shows. Um, we both at the time, I guess, shared a uh, interest in drinking, but at mostly uh, mass-produced malted beverages before we kind of, or well, at we, least until we, I developed my taste buds. We, we could afford them more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so I, I was a freelance graphic designer at the time, um, and, uh, Steve was, uh, we, I, I think we were actually the, at the Toronto Festival of Beer. That's, that's uh, right. That's and right. then, uh, so Steve, uh, Steve was telling me about, uh, this project and it seemed just like a, kind of a really fun project to just get on board with and, You, you were know. so drunk at that festival. I was. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of fun because, uh, Jordan, Jordan at the time was a professional creative designer. Uh, and was working most of the time in Bermuda, Bahama, traveling all over the world for, for his work. And he's like, I've always wanted to, to do, you know, the branding for a brewery. Can I do this? And they're like, can we not pay you? And he's like, he's like, sure. I'm like, you're hired. Well, and for me, it was, uh, I guess it was pretty low risk because it was, it would at the very least, at least make a, a credible portfolio piece for something that would, you know, allow me to flex my creative muscles versus a lot of the sort of more creative, or sorry, more corporate work that I was doing at the time. So, um, so yeah, and then he let me do it and the, the tractor kind of became a thing, so. Hi, bye. <laughs> and then, yeah. Do you have a question? I mean, it's part. It's my family now, so that's that's the reason. You can't have them. Yeah. <laughs> Many people have tried. Uh, no, I mean, I, I moved out to Eastern Ontario uh, in 2009 with the commitment to when Steve brought me on full time, a commitment to 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 do what I wanted to do, and I, I actually see this kind of as my life's work. So I I put a lot of work into it, and yeah, I'm committed to it. Yeah. Okay.
Now, let's talk a little bit about the beers that are in front of you. Um, I think we've got the Haters Gonna Hate is one of them, which is the, I believe, an homage to the original, one of the original, if not the original batch of beer, um, the famous Lugtred Kolschbach. Um, I'm not sure who knows that story of that beer. Is anybody familiar with the origin story of Lugtred? Um, yeah, so on, I don't want to do the talking on that one. I'd let these guys do the talking because it's a good story and uh, it really kicked off uh, Bose in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Well, he froze it. He should tell us. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. regular Lugtred, okay. So yeah, I guess uh, ultimately... It's not regular. Um, that Sorry. mistake, <laughs> that mistake was made by um, Yeah, we ran into a technical issue. Uh, we were brewing at uh, Church Key at the time, and uh, we we had a uh, chiller installed there. And for whatever reason, um, the uh, circulating glycol temperature, which regulates the tank temperature. Um, was set lower than, uh, than it should have been. And so what happened is that over the course of a few weeks, the uh, tank was actually uh, being chilled to a, a freezing temperature for the beer. So when we went to filter it, we were really kind of surprised with the, the low yield that we had from the fermenter. And I couldn't really fathom why that was until we went to clean the fermenter and we saw it like, just a massive ice cone within the fermenter. An iceberg in there. Yeah, and so that really served to uh, concentrate the beer. It uh, brought up the, uh, the alcoholic strength of the beer, and um, but it was still pretty smooth. Like I, that's one thing I think with this uh, process that's kind of interesting is that flavors are concentrated, but there is still like a smoothness that you don't get from like a uh, an initial fermentation. Um, development of alcohols. Um, so this, yeah, this beer, Haters Gonna Hate, is really an homage to that yeah. mistake. Yeah. But, but, um, but so I, I gotta finish the okay, story sorry. though, because yeah. this, is, this is to me the hilarious part. We were so far pushed back on our, on mm. our starting date, and this was one of those things we were supposed to launch June 1st, and that didn't happen because our yeast uh, got killed at the border. We got this one in the tanks a little bit later than we wanted to, and we we booked this uh, press conference, and we like somehow were able to convince the TV cameras and the reporters to show up, but it, we were so pushed down to the wire that Matt sitting there kegging the beer in Campbellford got the first keg that got got put got got filled onto a van. Jamie drove it at 140 clicks up up to this thing. We had everybody in there, and Jamie's running in with the keg, taps it. We have our first sip on camera. Our first time trying lug tread was on camera, and it was nothing like what we expected. It was like, oh my god, that's strong. Well, in fact, I remember the, the, a few of the reporters that were there, they were trying it, and they were starting to slur a little bit and stuff like this. And this was only after a couple of samples, so that was a pretty strong beer. <laughs> And we had this real dilemma about what do we do with this beer now because it's nothing like what we expect it would be. And uh, we had a real heart-to-heart -heart conversation. That the concept was, well, do we release this because it's not the way we wanted to? And the idea was, well, yeah, you know, to release it, we're going to have to admit that it's not what we'd intended. But this beer tastes too good not to, not to sell. 
And that really became a defining philosophy for the brewery was uh, the quality is what's, what's in your glass and it's what you're tasting. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, you have to admit, this isn't what we expected, but we're actually happy with the results. So we're gonna give it to you anyways. And it went on to the Golden Taps, at, which is uh, sort of the Bar Towels annual uh, awards program. And we didn't realize there was actually an award. We just wanted to show, show that this beer wasn't, wasn't totally horrible because we had some real haters that were flagging us because it wasn't exactly like we'd expected. So on, on rate beer and, and things like that, we had a couple detractors that were really slamming us. And so we thought, you know what, let's bring this to the awards thing and show everybody it's all right. And we ended up winning the award for best beer at the festival with that beer. Um, and I, I was so nervous that day, I was handing out little flyers that, that said, okay, this isn't the course we thought it was gonna be, but it's really good, this is what happened, try it. And, uh, and it worked for us. And that's, that's a big part of why the, uh, the name of this this version's uh, "Haters Gonna Hate" is kind of you know mostly poking fun of the people that said that uh, we should be out of business for uh, for releasing it. We're still here. Still here. <laughs> Steve, that's a good segue when you speak about um, having things that are unexpected. Um, you know, back in 2006 when you guys started, the beer scene, especially in Eastern Ontario, is not was nothing like what it is today. Now there's, I mean, dozens of new breweries that are or dozens. Tons of breweries opening up all the time. Do a dozen open today. Dozen open today. <laughs> Ottawa is seeing a huge uh, craft brewing boom, and the breweries opening up all the time. What was it like in the the local area out here, Van Cleef, the area in Ottawa, when you guys opened up? What was the reception like when you first came to market? And considering outside of a, f a couple of uh, craft brewers, there really wasn't much of a beer scene out here. No. Well, one thing I. I would say to that is one of the things the bank, the Business Development Bank of Canada, because no other bank would give us any money, um, <laughs> to, uh, to secure a loan was to go and secure 61 letters of support from the bars and restaurants in Ottawa. Why they picked 61, I still don't know today. This should have been 50 or 75, but it was 61. And uh, we actually got 62. Uh, but I, I don't, I'll let Steve speak on this too, but. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, we, we all we did was just like park the car in Ottawa, get out and just walk to every bar and restaurant and say, would you support a microbrewery? And I think we had a pretty good reception uh, yeah. because I think they were starting to understand that there was, there was this craft beer scene yeah. starting to happen. Well, there was, there was this myth back then yeah. that you just could not sell beer in Eastern Ontario, and Ottawa in particular was considered to be a dead zone. But I think what's really important uh, for us was there was a brewery that actually went out of business uh, a little bit before we opened up called Hart. And Hart had done a really good job of convincing a lot of people that supporting local was important. So we, our, basic our basic business plan to start with was to find a, a restaurant that still had the old support local sticker from Hart and go sell them beer. Because <laughs> they always said yes. I remember uh, the first conversation with Pete at the Black Tomato. You know, you're walking in, you're all nervous, gonna talk about this beer we're gonna release. And it was, the conversation went something like this. Uh, we're opening a, a brewery in Eastern Ontario. Great, when can I have it? And that was it. And Pete literally, uh, from the Black Tomato, literally brought up a tractor and parked it in front of the Black Tomato on Canada Day when we opened because he was just that excited that there'd be a craft brewery. And we were really lucky because there wasn't a lot going on in the scene, but there was so much pent up demand for it. People wanted to support a local brewery 
and they really didn't have one that they could really really you know get behind so for us it was just like a wide open playing field for those first couple of years and don't get me wrong it was a little bit of missionary work too uh, a lot of a lot of restaurants we we're talking to had never put a craft beer on ever or they put one beer on it went poorly and they said well never, never again, again. And so we had a lot of people's minds we had to change, but underneath that, there was so many people that were just so excited. And, and I, I still say this, uh, I think Ottawa is more supportive than most cities in North America when it comes to craft beer. And, and I think- And you're seeing it. Yeah, and I think like even Matthew, like when he moved back to this area, he never expected to be working for a microbrewery, but he had come from the GTA area where it was getting well known. Oh yeah, it was pretty embraced already in uh, the Toronto area. But uh, yeah, this was like, there was a definite void in uh, the Ottawa Valley at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we were re really able to uh, capitalize on that. Oh yeah, yeah, well, and I can attest from doing the brewery market in Ottawa, the enthusiasm in the city is huge for craft beer. We get way more people coming out to Ottawa than we do for events in Toronto, yeah. um, which is a testament to the passion out here. Um, okay, we got another beer, I think this one is Matt's Matt's sleepy time. Ha! Um, <laughs> so this was the first I, I ever. Think this is uh, the, the, the barrel aged bottle imp, is it? I was told no? it was Matt's sleepy, sleepy time. time? Oh, okay. This is the first ever uh, wild oats beer. That's uh, that's one of Bose's uh, one off series. I think they're up into the forties now of uh, beers in this series. Um, and so I want to ask uh, I want to ask Matt. Um, you know, since it's called Matt's sleepy time, um, you know what's what's the story behind the name? <laughs> He doesn't um, remember what the story is, but I do. And, and in, in, in absence of remembering, well, then if uh... well, yeah, I mean, basically, there's two stories. There's the story of the name, and there's the story of the beer. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I'll start with the story of the beer. Sure. And then maybe Steve can tell the story of the name. Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, the story of the beer is that uh, we had we saw this opportunity to finally bring out a non-seasonal uh, beer and we bounced around ideas about like what we'd like to do and I have a, an affinity for stouts it might have to do with like my Irish descent or something like that and um, I thought it would be interesting to, to brew one and Steve agreed we'd recently been to a craft brewers conference uh, I think it was Boston. Boston, yes. Yeah, and uh, Steve really fell in love with uh, Allagash Black. Mm -hmm. And so I knew, I, I wanted to, you know, yeah. do something that was also going to appeal to Steve and take it, take our beer into a different direction because there are already a lot of interpretations of Irish stout on the market. But there, at the time, there wasn't like a Belgian-style stout in Ontario. Mm -hmm. So that's how uh, the style of beer was decided upon. Now the name, so I mean, the name. We, we have, we have uh, a really kind of designed by committee uh, marketing approach to how we name beers, how you know label development happens and, and that kind of thing. So I'll let Steve speak to that a bit. Yeah, so uh, uh, Matt mentioned we went to the Craft Brewers Conference in Boston. <laughs> we go every year with, with a, a bigger and bigger group every year. Uh, I think last year we brought 17 people down uh, and uh, it's always in a different city in the US and you just walk away super enthused and just, just so excited about craft beer every time you go. It's just you can't help but 
you're in a room with like 4,000 to 6,000 other brewers who just see the world the same way you do. And it's uh, just so affirming. Um, but it's also like, uh, I don't know if you've ever see, seen the, uh, the movie Ski School. Um, <laughs> yep. Where you literally, if you put your hand out like this, a beer just magically <laughs> pops into your hand. It's like, boom. And, and so it's you, totally true. <laughs> you, you spend this weekend, or this week, in just this, you know, beer-soaked beer haze. And uh, Matt one night was unfortunate enough to, you know, sort of not necessarily do do great <laughs> with his pacing. And uh, when we came home that night after after hitting the I don't know the eighth after party of the after party, uh, we found Matt almost in bed, <laughs> fully clothed and just just completely passed out. So we took a bunch of pictures of him, <laughs> and we. And the next day we showed him, we're like, we're making a beer, we're calling it Matt Sleepy Time, and that picture's going on the label. <laughs> but the, but the funniest Luckily part was he was, he was actually drooling. <laughs> oh, was, no, you were. No. Show me the evidence. <laughs> I, I've no asked way. for the picture. Do you want to get the picture? Yeah, the picture. Where's Jamie? He was lying there, and Jamie he was actually it. drooling all the way down. Oh, like come this. on. Not true. <laughs> well, you oh. take a look at the labels. It shows him drooling. Well, yeah, but uh, Jordan was smart enough not to let us use the actual picture. Yeah, that's what they wanted to do is to act, put the actual photo in there. It was like a, at that time too, it was it was not like the iPhone cameras we have now. It was like a flip phone, like seven hundred and sixty kilobyte. That's uh, the new design. Yeah, that's the, new, yeah, yeah, that's the, the new old design. one. Yeah, the, the yeah. old one it literally was a cartoon drawing of Matt just like yeah. past there. <laughs> I think the picture might be in the slideshow. Slide so if you guys oh, cool. keep an eye on the screen from time to time, <laughs> uh, you'll see. Oh, there's the actual, the actual there. picture? Yeah. There, there's, there's, oh, yeah, uh, see if there's drill. <laughs> J Jason Sleepy Time is going to come yeah, out later. Yeah, Jason Sleepy Time. Steve, oh, we've got a great By, by the way, if, if, if you're ever hanging out with Steve and drinking, just be careful that he doesn't pull his cell phone out because he's chronically like taking pictures of people in inappropriate situations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the only time I use my phone. <laughs> I'm convinced he's like compiling a giant blackmail library. He's got a lot of you. I know. <laughs> I've been bad. <laughs> okay, uh, I want to ask a couple other questions here. Um, Jordan, you haven't talked to him in a little bit. Um, you know, what's great about this fest is you look around and you see everybody with bows, bows on. And, uh, you know, there was a time where, like, that was very uncommon in beer. Um, you know, Bose is one of those breweries that really was at the forefront of making not only well-designed beers, but a well-designed identity. Um, Jordan's an integral part of that, coming from an, a marketing background. So I want to ask you, you know, how did, you know, how did, like, how did that all come about? And how was your, how did you bring your background in marketing into this to make not just a brewery that makes good beers, but a brewery that makes a good look, which is so important to uh, success, especially nowadays uh, in today's uh, beer world. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, it's, uh, I put a lot of myself and the people that I've been around into the, the, the branding of the brewery. So I kind of feel that the, the stuff that I, I developed aesthetically kind of reflects everybody, you know, in the milieu that we're, we're all in. So. Um, I really try to put the same amount of attention to detail that the brewers put into the beer, into the, the packaging and the branding and the consistency. But I, I, on the other hand, I think I think, uh, <laughs> I think, I, I think a, a big part of it is we're not we're not developing 
our brand or our products in terms of um, uh, demographics or, you know, we need to have a specific product at a specific price point. You know, we're developing uh, stuff that we would want to buy or we would want to make and we think other people would enjoy and, and just seeing what happens with it. And a, a lot of the stuff with the, with the branding, I, I, I take the same approach. I'm not trying to imitate or try to get into anyone's style. I'm just trying to interpret what's going, going on around, around, around here. Cool, good stuff. Um, I want to ask another question to, uh, to, to Tim and Steve. Um, now, it's funny, like, you know, being, you know, eight years old is not a long time in sort of the course of life, but in the Ontario craft beer scene, it, it actually kind of is. Um, you guys are almost like elder statesmen in, uh, in Ontario craft beer. Um, you know, if you, you know, looking back, if you were to sort of do it all over again, if you were going to start in the beginning, would, would there be anything that you'd do differently uh, if you were uh, starting today versus uh, seven, eight, uh, nine years ago? I would have let Steve move back in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that. that. <laughs> um, our lives would have been a lot easier if we'd started with a bit more money. Yeah. Uh, we got the brewery off the ground for... Technically, we got $300,000 in loans, but about 120 of that had to go to pay off some of the, the old creditors for the old business. So we started off with like basically just enough for the equipment and very little of that. Uh, and, and then there was nothing else. So the, the, the flip side is I think that the fact that we had absolutely no money uh, really helped define our marketing approach, our aesthetic, and, our, and I think our work, work ethic too. Um, our timing was great, our, you know, our branding's been great, but I think the thing that, that's really set Bose apart is that I think we work harder than anybody else does. And you know, we all give it absolutely our, our all. So on one hand, I sit there and go, man, if we had a bit more money, we could have made our lives so much easier. The other side of me goes, if we had that money, would we have one just, you know, blown it on, on crappy marketing stuff? Or, you know, would we, would we not be the brewery that we are? Um, you know, and there's, there's a, a frugality uh, mindset that, that's still with the brewery that I think is really important now. Uh, you know, we didn't start with deep pockets and we still don't have deep pockets, but when we get cash in, um, we really think long and hard about how we're going to spend it and we don't just buy crap for the sake of buying it. We don't just, you know, waste money on, on, on frivolity. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we had more money, I don't know if, if it would actually be a good thing for us. Uh, but uh, that first year was, it was so difficult because there was, you know, every week it was like, Dad, if we don't find another 20,000 bucks, we can't make we can't meet payroll this week, uh, and it was it was pretty stressful in the, the that first year because it was like we were burning cash yeah the uh, really fast and, and it just you know our was line scary. our line of credit was was the equity of my house I mean mm -hmm. there there was no bank that was going to give us any line of credit so uh, my wife Denise uh, <laughs> she had a few sleepless nights when I'd say well we got to put up another twenty thousand dollars or whatever the case may be. And the house mortgage was going up and up and up and up and this, and you know we had to make sure that uh, everything was going to work. But like I think what Steve was saying, that I think the trials and tribulations that Matt 
because uh, he was right from the very beginning too. I think the trials and tribulations made us stronger. Yeah. And uh, it's it's what gave us the character and the perseverance to go forward. And like Steve said, from day one we we made that commitment. We didn't look back. And I think the best piece of advice I ever received was to be proactive. And no matter what the problem was, we, we faced it on. We didn't bury our head in the sand. And we just said, let's, we've got a problem, let's, let's fix it. And um, I think that's what made us stronger. Well, I, I, I think coming on in 2009 too, that, that was something that I really noticed coming on is that, you know, we, we really used our heads um, and used our elbow grease to, to kind of make up for the lack of deep pockets. And I think that's still continued on. And I think that's why, you know, we're so persistent or pesky, you know, we're yeah. just. I think uh, another defining feature of Bose is the fact that when things weren't so lean, a lot of the uh, investment of capital went to actually building our team and uh, making it stronger. So like taking a bunch of us to craft brewers conferences and uh, you know really allowing us to adhere together as a team and like promote our own uh, development as personnel too. It's a really uh, a great thing to be part of that team. That's awesome. Uh, a good segue on just in terms of talking about people. Uh, the the le the next beer that everybody has received is the DOA Malt Liquor. Um, now this is <laughs> comes with a bag. <laughs> comes in a bag. <laughs> but this this beer is another of uh, a long line of collaborative efforts that Bose has done with artists and uh, other brewers. Um, again, going back to relationships with people and working together um, to come up with something great. So, uh, you know, Matt, do you want to talk with beer and you want to talk with some of the collaborations you've done over the years and some of the memorable ones that uh, you've had? Wow. Um, yeah, I've been really lucky in terms of the amount of uh, collaborations I've been involved with. And uh, we uh, had our first one with Koenigshoven. Um, and that, that was interesting, you know, being able to do uh, like a Belgian style wit beer with like a different uh, nuance that uh, reflected Netherlands. And, and then from there, uh, wow, it's hard to count the amount almost. I can't remember them all, but uh, yeah, they've all been interesting. And what's really great is when you get, you know, two brewers together, bouncing ideas off one another, it's, uh, it's a real joy. It's also really nice to be able to travel and, and meet other brewers in their their own backyard, uh, and then you know they'll open up their doors and show you around their their area, and we do likewise when they come to us. You can fall asleep at their breweries as well. <laughs> yeah, well I can fall asleep anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, it's great. And then sometimes we'll do collaborations like this one or the one that we did with uh, Margaret Atwood, where you know. There isn't, it's not another brewer, but there's some kind of inspiration there from a, you know, an artistic bent. And uh, this particular beer is a result of, you know, looking at you know, the history of hardcore um, and that, you know, those genres and then taking, you know, kind of, uh, I guess a hallmark of hard living, like malt liquor and trying to give it a, a craft spin. So when I was charged with brewing a beer like this, uh, my main concern was to deliver a beer that 
was drinkable and kind of hid the actual alcohol content as much as possible. It's still got some heat though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, love, uh, I love your line, the hallmark of hard living. That's a great slogan for this beer. <laughs> it really is. But just, just to add a little bit, uh, one of the things that I love about the collaborations we've done is the, the diversity of it. We went literally from collaborating with Margaret Atwood to collaborating with DOA. We've collaborated and with Tom Green before that. Tom Green before that. Um, we've collaborated with one of the seven remaining Trappist monastery breweries. Uh, and I, I, I'm not sure if this is true, but I was told by the by the brewmaster there that this was the first time they'd ever collaborated wow. with without you know sort of it being with another monastery. Um, we, we've been really blessed to, to work with just phenomenally interesting people, uh, some very creative brewers, some very creative uh, personalities, and uh, it's really it's it's a really sort of uh, inspirational event for us. You know, you, you can feel the electricity in the brewery when we're doing something with someone else, and it just uh, we do a lot with uh, home brewers as well. Yep. Uh, we uh, we do collaborative beers with the winner of the Canadian Amateur Brewing Association's uh, Homebrew of the Year Award. Uh, if anyone hasn't been to the uh, members of Parliament, we're actually doing a homebrew competition right now. You you sign a piece of paper, you get to drink beer for free. It's pretty cool. Um, there, there was over 400 entries for that competition, which I think makes it probably the largest homebrew competition in Canada at this point. Yeah. And uh, and and when you when we work with a with an amateur brewer, there's a very different vibe because uh, on one hand we get to sort of show a, a you know a talented home brewer what it's like to brew you know on a giant system, uh, but then we also get reminded by them how important it is to focus on the quality of the ingredients. Uh, the example I like to give is uh, with with Burnt Rock, which is uh, uh, one of the collaborations we've done. Um, the home brewer that, uh, that developed the recipe, when he does it at home, he takes about four vanilla beans, scrapes them out one at a time, puts that in the beer. And so his recipe was, no, we're gonna take these vanilla beans, we're gonna scrape them out. And it took us, uh, I think, four people eight hours to scrape out enough vanilla beans to do a commercial batch of this. But what a lot of breweries <laughs> that get to scale start doing is they start saying, well, no, let's use an extract. That's easier. Let's, you know, it, it's not practical to use actual vanilla beans. But this beer is so wonderfully delicious, and it wouldn't be as delicious if we used an extract. And, uh, you know, the amount of work that goes into it, it sometimes it takes that amateur, that talented home brewer, to show you what it means to really care about what goes into your beer, and we've always, from from day one, been about let's let's do let's do it the best way possible, not the easiest way, but sometimes that extra reminder is like, okay, you can you can actually take this further. <laughs> you can be more ridiculous about yeah. this. We had a, an interesting uh, collaboration a couple years ago with uh, Dick Cantwell, who's the uh, head brewer at Elysian. Elysian, yeah. yeah in Seattle, and uh, that one was called uh, Oiseau de Nuit. It was a pumpkin-based uh, gruit, and we, because we're certified organic, sometimes we have difficulties sourcing raw materials. <laughs> I know what this story is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a beaut. Yeah. So anyway, back in, in the bad old days, we didn't have a purchaser like Jeff working for us and sourcing all Jeff, this. Jeff, everybody! Yeah. Yeah. 
So it took a really long time for us to find, you know, an organic uh, pumpkin puree. And it came right down to the wire. It was Friday of Oktoberfest. And we're waiting on a delivery for these cans of pureed pumpkin. And they're all these small cans. We couldn't find big cans. And so it's the same, same kind of deal. It's like four brewers and, and Dick and I, you know, all opening cans for like, it, it arrived at three in the afternoon. And we wanted to be here, obviously, but you know we're getting the puree <laughs> ready. Opening cans. And uh, anyway, I thought that we should have uh, renamed that beer "Waiting for Gordo." <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good one. Uh, so that was done a couple. You just mentioned um, a bit before Oktoberfest. So I just want to I want to talk about that for a second. We're all here because it's Oktoberfest. It's a great event. Uh, Oktoberfest won a gold tap award this year for Yay! its uh, awesomeness. Um, <laughs> But it would certainly about wasn't... About damn time, it, by the way. What's that? About damn time, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We, we were wondering about how time. long it was going to take to get one of those Editor's Circle Awards. You know what? I just, <laughs> just wanted to make sure that it was worthy. And uh, you made the grade. You only had to come, like, 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only six years old. So, you know, the 15th time, it was the, it was the clincher. Nice. Uh, but, look, I, I want to I know how it all got started, because I think the first year was maybe a little bit more popular than you guys were anticipating. Oh, yeah. Um, I think uh, you may were hoping for, or thinking of it was going to be a few hundred and a few thousand showed up. Um, how did Oktoberfest get started and how have, uh, have you uh, sort of uh, managed its growth uh, over the years? Oh, lots to, lots to talk yeah, about. Uh, uh, the, the, first year we <laughs> the first year we did it kind of uh, what I would say for real, uh, we, we put up a, a tent at the fairgrounds and we, uh, we had a, a German Oompa band and we were like, yeah, we can do an Oktoberfest. Uh, the, the sort of the crux for it, the, the reason for it was we were looking for a way to increase our donations. Um, uh, supporting the community has been a, a huge pillar for, for Bose and uh, in that particular year I was worried that our, our amount of donations was not keeping pace with, with the rest of our growth. So I was looking for, for a way to, to basically donate more money. And uh, at the same time, uh, we had our, our new fall seasonal, uh, Nightmareton, uh, which is a traditional Oktoberfest lager. And somehow in the conversations, it was like, well, we should do an Oktoberfest to, to do that. And that, that was kind of the click was, uh, oh, that, that would be a good fundraiser for us. And uh, Rob Mora, who's now our Toronto uh, sales rep, uh, he, uh, he was at the time our special events manager, and it was a couple months ahead of time, and he was like, yeah, let's, let's do it for real this year. So we said, okay, and we got ready for it. Um, a couple weeks before the event happened, we got, uh, we got a tip that George Went, uh, the guy that played Norm on Cheers, uh, had written a book and he was looking to do uh, like a media circuit. So somehow, it was actually the members of Barleyment uh, that were actually tipped me off to it and they actually, they gave me the, his, his publicist's uh, uh, contact. So I got a hold of the, the publicist and convinced the publicist that, that Vankley Kill was a good place to send yeah. George Went. And so he literally went from Oktoberfest in Cincinnati, which has half a million people, to New York, where he was on the Colbert Report, then got on a plane, landed in Ottawa, and we brought him to Bankley Field. <laughs> his words to us, his first words to us were, uh, uh, 
uh, I've never been east of Toronto in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, so what happened though is obviously we, once we knew that George Went was coming, we, we let everybody know and it became a big deal. And we were, we were expecting 800 to 1,000 people. And it was somewhere around 5,000 people. The 5,000th person got through the gates and we're like, close the gates. Uh, and it was, it was a little bit crazy. We, every single it was siege-like. Every yeah. single restaurant yeah. ran out of food. Uh, the lineups for beer were just madness. But out of that event, the main important thing was we realized, holy crap, people will actually make it to Van Cleek Hill if we put on a party. Yeah. And, uh, and so once we knew that, then we started talking about how to grow it. And the first part was fixing the problem. So year two is about fixing the problem. So more tents, uh, more infrastructure, making sure that things went well. More food. More, more food. food. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then year two was kind of a good year. Like there, there weren't many major issues. And then years three, four, and five were kind of building on that. So kind of incremental changes to try to make things a little bit better. And then this year is, is, uh, is kind of, we noticed last year things were kind of getting sardine-ish. Um, by, by kind of midday Saturday. So what we've done this year is, is uh, opened up a, a, a much larger space. Uh, we have a lot Just of, checking uh, that there aren't people up against the window. Like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, so Lyndall is our, our Oktoberfest coordinator and she spends all year working on Oktoberfest. And it, it eats up a, in a ginormous amount of uh, Jordan's uh, time as well and so the the layout and design here is this is Jordan's brainchild and I, I think it's it's absolutely wonderful because now there's just so much to go and explore and that's uh, a big part of what we want is we don't want a typical beer fest where you sit in one spot and you just chug beer all day we want you to get up and explore and discover and kind of the Jordan's thought behind this is we're trying to take the the Bo's philosophy of community, charity, beer, good food. Uh, good food, and distill everything we're about down into a two-day event. Charity. So to take everything about Bo's and try to distill it down so that anyone that comes to the festival walks away with a good feeling of, about everything that we're trying to do. And that's, uh, you know, I, I think overall we're, we're doing pretty good. Um, this year we... we had a little bit of issues with uh, lineups yesterday, but we yeah, we I had some that. shadows of year one last night. Yeah, but exactly. I'm hoping we're working the kinks out. <laughs> and it's one of those things where you try to do something to make it better, and sometimes it makes it makes it worse. We tried uh, ticket scanning technology, which was supposed to make it so much easier for everyone to get in, and it was just slow and terrible. And so we just at, at a certain point last night we just throw the scanners in the garbage and let's just let people in the door. Yeah, yeah, one, little, one little story that on the uh, first year when we ran out of food, uh, I received a call the next day at the brewery and somebody had brought their family down. We couldn't, apparently couldn't get in. This was after the 5,000 had already got in. They closed the gates. So he was very upset and he says, I brought my family down. And he says, I couldn't get in. That really pissed me off. He said, then we decided, well, okay, and there's no food we're going to go to a local restaurant. He said, the local restaurants were completely full. Damn it, I couldn't get it. anything to eat. And he says, I'm driving home. And he said, all the way back to Ottawa. And he says, you can imagine how I'm feeling driving all that way. 
says, and I stop off at Loblaws and pick up a roast chicken. And he said, by the time we got home, it was dry and dried out. And I said, well, are you blaming the roast chicken on us? <laughs> and he says, yeah. <laughs> he says, you caused that problem. I said, oh, okay. Well, that's the thing is that we take it so seriously because the whole point of doing this is to create a wonderful experience for everyone that attends. And we really put our heart and soul into that. And so when someone has a bad experience, like we lose sleep over it. We, we, we get really, really upset. So it's, it's one of those things where I think for a lot of other people, they'd be like, oh, it's a very successful event. For us, we're sitting there going, damn it, we, we make people wait in line. It's horrible. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I had a good cry about that last night. <laughs> Not joking. <laughs> we've, uh, we've got another beer that's been delivered. I think this one is the Greener Futures Bourbon Barrel Imperial Stout. I love this beer, by the way. What's that? I love this beer. Yeah, it's a good one. The bourbon barrel with the chocolate and uh, the vanilla that puts on it is just... If if only the chicken guy could have had a nice bourbon beer, his problems would have been solved. Um, So I want to ask you guys about this beer. Um, So, Matt, I was wondering if you could talk about sort of your barrel program and and how this beer came about. And then also, um, where or what and, uh, and why does this beer come from Steve's Privates? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll let Steve talk to his privates, but, um, hello. <laughs> yeah, so this is, uh, part of our Pro-Am series, and, uh, so this is, uh, basically a recipe that was replicated on our system from, uh, David, I'm trying to David Thompson? David Thompson, right, uh, out of Toronto, who, uh, won a homebrew competition with his uh, brew. And I think it might not have been this beer, but we decided to do this beer because we thought it was uh, seasonally um, appropriate. Mm-hmm. We were brewing in the winter. Uh, so it's basically like a, a classic Imperial Stout, but there's coffee as well. And then uh, with the barrel treatment, obviously you get some bourbon characters, quite nice and warming, rich. And it's a pretty complex kind of beer. With our barrel program in general, uh, we're learning as we go. And I think it's really nice to be able to have the opportunity to experiment with a variety of barrels and wood um, and different you know, um, predecessors in that barrel. It's, uh, it, yeah, it's, been, it's been a real learning experience for us. And uh, sometimes we find that you know, the, the match between the beer and the barrel is perfect but that's not entirely the case across the board. Fortunately, you, know, you have the opportunity as a brewer to blend beers as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll pick up things from the barrel that you know could be there, but you're not certain are there, like Britannomyces or Wild East. Yeah. And uh, that can lead to sourness or like some interesting barnyard kind of character. <laughs> so, so on the sourness in the barnyard, um, Back to Steve's privates. All right. So. Oh, nice. Good segue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that at first. That's funny. It's a very unused part of our brewery. Uh, so, uh, we don't get a whole lot of visitors, uh, or we didn't used to get a whole lot of visitors to, to the brewery, especially from other breweries. And uh, what we what we used to find is, um, so uh, again. 
this is going back a few years where we'd have lug tread all year and then when there was an open tank we'd brew a batch of something special and it would sell out like crazy and then we'd find someone uh, someone would show up uh, potentially from BDT uh, <laughs> how you doing <laughs> uh, we, we'd get someone show up at the brewery and they'd be like oh, I've heard so much about you and, and your beer and what do you got to try and we'd be like shit all we got is lug tread and don't get me wrong I love lug tread but you, you know when when a brewer comes you want to roll out the red carpet you want to show off all the cool stuff that you got and we would continually find ourselves like this awesome brewer showing up and we're like oh I've got a bottle of that at home get in your car and drive and like and uh, so I, I start I, I said you know what from now on we're gonna take three or four cases of every single batch of beer that we make and we're gonna put it aside so that we can roll it out when guests come, basically. Uh, and uh, my brother's a funny guy. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it was originally, I, I wanted to call it the Brewer's Reserve, because it sounded nice and austere. And uh, instead, my brother said, no, no, no. <laughs> this, is, this is Steve's privates. <laughs> so, so that's how it got yeah, called the, Steve's the first time, And I didn't know that this was called Steve's Privates. <laughs> But uh, somebody had come in, somebody had come in and they were looking for a bottle of some specialty beer. And I said, I don't think we have any. And one of the retail staff turned to me and said, well, it might be in Steve's privates. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all sharing in Steve's privates today. So uh, uh, we've got, uh, I hope you enjoyed the, enjoy the wood character. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a couple minutes left, um, I um, and so we thought maybe do we have any questions from the audience? Yes. yes. Curious how uh, you go from your regular production to uh, preparing for this October fest where you have like eight extra beers hmm. or so, and, and, and such a volume of it as well. Good question. Well, it's a uh, it's a real juggling act yeah. for us. It's uh, you know having diversifying brand portfolio is always pretty uh, stressful for the brewery. And then there's, you know, it's not just the brewing and uh, allocating space and fermentation, it goes all the way down the line. So it affects Jordan and what he's doing in terms of preparing labels and uh, all the marketing materials. And then it's uh, pretty much uh, chaos, almost chaos, <laughs> controlled chaos uh, for, for packaging as well. Because you can't really let your regular brand slide just because you're doing something special for this awesome event. Um, so yeah, it just makes life more complicated and fun. <laughs> and uh, to put it in perspective for you, we are going to sell more beer this weekend at the festival, not including everything else. But just at this festival, we are going to sell more beer this weekend than we sold in our entire first year. Uh, about 35,000 liters of beer. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, any other questions? Yes. When are you bringing the ceramic bottles back? <laughs> you can get them at the brewery. They just don't have yeah. beer in them anymore. <laughs> we, we've had about three in our class. I saw one on eBay out of Vancouver. We smashed. Yeah. 
It's crazy. I, I turn up. A, I'm a bit of an antiquer. I turn up at flea markets and all that. And you see, you see the ceramic Bose bottles going for like twenty, thirty dollars. And I'm like, I got a whole warehouse of these. Things. <laughs> uh, we, we would like to bring them back again. Uh, we've been we've been unable to for the longest time because our, our bottling line that we have right now simply can't can't use that size of bottle. Uh, we are purchasing a new line and and there's a good chance that these bottles will actually work on them and uh, so it'd be fun to roll it back out we, we had to move from those ceramic bottles uh, mainly because you know it it was cool for the beer and everything but paying seven dollars and 85 cents for a bottle of lug tread was worth it but you didn't get to have as much of it as you otherwise would so by by moving to a glass bottle it makes a bit more sense uh, but but that ceramic bottle did so much good for us in terms of standing out on the shelves and for a brewery with absolutely zero marketing dollars it was the best thing we could have possibly done because that thing just stood out on the shelf and and people know us because of how cool that bottle was yeah maybe maybe a special run on our 10th anniversary or something something like that yeah I, th I think too I, I think it kind of set a precedent for us as well don't quote me on that. He's recording it. Yeah, I, it's it's on the mic. Yeah. Okay, I think we we probably only have time for one more. I think in the back, you can come. You guys can come up and keep chatting, but I think we. we yeah. Was that op open a... Op what's, what's open a crash? What does that mean? What is open a crash? I'll, I'll tell uh, you what we actually do. We, we, we do have a Father's Day event. Yeah, every Father's yeah. Day we, uh, we do a barbecue on the patio and, uh, and all the fathers get a free pint glass. Uh, so, so... It's it's uh, it's traditionally the kickoff to Ontario Craft Beer Week as well, which uh, we 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 are heavy participants in. Yeah. Okay. You can come up. Okay. Uh, thanks everybody. That's it. Thanks to the guys on the panel. Hopefully you had a good time. Thanks everybody for coming. Thanks for listening to us. Enjoy the beers. Matt didn't drink any. Big thanks to Cass again and the guys for a great panel. If you've got a couple extra questions, come on up and ask them before the next session starts. Cheers, guys. We're here.